This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field and deep. Geyer to the wall. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. D-Man Toy with a two-run walk-off home run. The Rays winning ways here at Tropicana Field continue. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Bounce towards first and through a base hit right field. He's going to take a turnaround first and try for second. Here comes the throw by Grinchik. He is safe at second base. A hustle double for Kiermaier. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning and welcome to our latest show. Today we sit down with Brandon Lau and discuss his solid first two weeks. Dave and Andy will discuss a challenging start for the team. John Curtis will join us and he just got called up. Jeremy Sowers will give us an inside look at advanced scouting in a COVID world. And Eric Boland of Newsday stops by to discuss the Yankees today's opponent. Hi, it's Willie Adamas and this is the home of Ronnie and T. Crash, 95.3 WDAE and AM 620. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and our featured guest this week is one Brandon Lau. Brandon, thanks very much for being with us. You are off to, personally, a very good start. What has allowed you to get into pretty good rhythm under what are certainly difficult and unique circumstances? Uh, really just trying to stay within myself and understanding what I can and can't do up there. Honestly, the little quarantine stint you know, really helped me kind of look at old swings and stuff like that and understand and develop a better game plan than just going out there and doing what I was doing last year. So, you know, hopefully uh, I can keep sticking to that and, you know, keep performing well. What What's the biggest change or adjustment you made in looking at that video? Because obviously there was an opportunity to improve yourself and it sounds like you did. Yeah, I think, I think a big part of it was just because you strike, you know, doesn't mean you have to swing at it. Growing up, it was like, you know, you might get one or two strikes, you know, you better hit it when you get it. And now it's, you know, it might be a 94 mile an hour cutter on the outside, but like you don't need to swing at that or you don't need to swing at the slider down and in and stuff like that. Just to, you know, make sure you get a pitch to hit something that you can try, you know, something that you can drive and, you know, things are going to work out a little bit better. In all of the change that's occurred, what's the most challenging part for you? Is it the change that you may have had to make in physical routine or the mental aspect of just how things are slightly different? Uh, men- mental, for sure. Getting in there and, you know, we're, we're a young team. We like to have fun. And with all the protocols that are in place, it's like, you know, you're not allowed to do that. It, it almost feels that way. Like you can't celebrate with your team. You can't high five. You know, all that kind of stuff really changes things up. And then you know, just the fan noise isn't the same as having actual fans in the stands. You know, it's definitely different, and it puts you in a different mindset, so you really have to overcome that to, you know, really give your best out there. I thought it was great, though, last weekend, the way you did have fun when you hit the home run in Baltimore. How do you, first of all, did you think a lot about what you were going to do just to try and find ways to have fun? And how important is it for all of the guys to kind of get in that, mindset to keep the game as fun as possible 
honestly, it just kind of came up. I thought it would have been a fun thing to do because we had, you know, thinking back on it, it's like, you know, half the stadium was our fans. So just thinking of it that way, just having fun and, you know, just trying to find little things that you can do to, you know, we, we were kind of skidding at that time and it was just something to get the guys going and lift the spirits a little bit. How important is that for the whole group, just to stay in that mindset of finding ways to enjoy themselves? I think it was the, the first game against Boston. You know, I saw the guys, you know, yelling at Yandi after he got a hit. Hey, let, you know, you need the ball for that one. Just, just to get guys in that frame of mind of relaxing. Yeah, it, it's going to do a lot for us throughout the whole season. It's a 60-game stretch, and, you know, you, can, you can't really afford for guys to, you know, slump for that two-week span or, you know, whatever that was. You know, you really want to help them in any way possible, you know, build them up any way that you can. And, uh, you know, just doing that for Yandi. Yandi's doing everything he can to come back and do what he was doing last year, and obviously it's not there. And, you know, we're just trying to keep him pushing him towards that right right direction and anything that we can possibly do to make that happen. Personally, uh, I would guess it meant a lot to you, but also to the team to get Austin Meadows back this week. You guys are, are pretty tight. What did it mean in terms of just him being in front of you now in the lineup? Yeah, I mean, even if he if he comes back and, you know, goes over for 100, you know, it, it's just nice to have that name back in the line. You know, you know he's going to give you good at-bats. He's going to grind out those at least three pitches, you know, and he's going to give you a good solid at-bat, whether it's, you know, a three-pitch at-bat, a ten-pitch at-bat, whatever. He's going to try to go up there and he's going to make solid contact. Just to have that extra bat in the lineup is really going to do a lot for not only sparking the whole lineup, but whoever in front of will get a little more comfortable. Tell me why the two of you have clicked because you guys did have a, a really good personal relationship, uh, I think, on and off the field. You know, I think we, we have a lot of the same interests. And then right when he got traded over, that's he was we we're in Durham together. And, you know, that was the first uh, time we had met and we kind of hit it off there. We clicked, um, started building a friendship there. And, you know, it, it's just kind of grown over over the couple of years that we've known each other. And, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with just his personality with mine. And, you know, we, we enjoy just being around each other. And whether it's, you know, going out fishing or, you know, joking on each other in the dugout. Like, it's just, just a, it's a fun – he's a fun person to hang out with. You've had – he's one of a half dozen players in the, in the pool who've had the, the virus itself. You guys have been pretty careful overall, but because he's your friend and you know what he went through, does it make you maybe even that much more careful? Yeah, I mean, it's – the worst part about this virus really isn't the extremes of what can happen. The, what happened to Eduardo Rodriguez is absolutely terrible. It's terrifying, but – you know, you see a lot of the guys that are, you know, they're having cold symptoms and stuff. But really what you're looking at is you're missing at least two weeks at the bare minimum. And, you know, in a season like this, you we really can't afford that with any of our players. And, you know, that's just two weeks to start doing stuff. You know, then you got another – you got to build up to game competition and see live at-bats. And it could be anywhere from, you know, up to a month and, you know, just not really that much time left in the season for anybody to get sick and, you know, have to go through all those protocols. And, you know, that really makes you, like, understand how careful you have to be. You know, it's – the masks are uncomfortable. Social distancing isn't all that much fun. But, you know, that's what we have to do to make sure that we have this season, make sure that we have our guys. On. Tell me – 
why you had decided to continue, and I think it's great, to, with your home runs this year to benefit the crisis center of, of Tampa Bay. I, obviously, uh, I would think that it's even more important in our current situation across the country. Yeah, it, it's been something that's been really, really close to me and my family for a few years now. And just to be able to get the word out, no matter really what's going on, you know, it's everybody's going through a tough time right now. And, you know, really getting that out there that, you know, there's a place to go call. There's a place that can, you know, really help if you're struggling just to make people feel like they're not alone, that, you know, someone's listening and everything to help them through their tough time. It's something we wish we could have done and something that really, uh, it's really close to me and my family. Mental health, you have a Justin Sua who does help on the mental health side on baseball. How valuable is he to you and, and do you think to this group? Uh, he's, he's awesome. Uh, whether it's, you know, him coming out with his, the mental minute that he does all the time uh, to kind of get the team fired up. And or if it's, you know, just something that you're struggling with that day, you know, if it's, you know, you have a decision that you have to make and you're not sure, you know, you, he's always there to be a sounding board. And, you know, it's, it's a judgment free. Like he's he knows that he's going to be completely honest with you, but he's not going to look at your opinion and say, you know, that's terrible. Like you shouldn't do it this way. And, you know, it, it's, it's just really nice to have a guy like that in the locker room. A few fun questions for you. Uh, I hope it's not long before we have all-star games again at a home run derby and you're part of one percent chance that Madison would be your BP pitcher in a home run derby would be what right now? Zero. <laughs> oh, and that, that percentage might be through the floor. Because knowing her, she might get a little bit too competitive on me, and I'd hit one out, and the next one might find my ear hole. So <laughs> I honestly hadn't really thought about who would be my BP thrower if I was ever in one. It'd be a difficult decision for sure. Well, let's hope we get there sooner than later. Favorite dessert that Madison makes for you is what? Recently, she made an Oreo, Oreo cake, and it was incredible. When I first came home, she described it as cookies and cream, and I was never a huge fan of it. And then, you know, I had a little piece of it and some of the frog. It was – it tasted like I dipped an Oreo in milk and ate it, and that's, like, one of my favorite things on the planet. So it was, it was a good surprise. It was awesome. Least favorite dessert that she makes is what? Because she told me this last week. Anything lemon. Uh, yeah, she – uh that's been a popular flavor with some of the cookies that she's made. and. Sometimes she has leftover cookies, and I've I've accidentally grabbed some of the lemon ones before, and it's been a mistake. All right, who's more critical, you of her desserts or her of your at bats? Oh, her of my at bats, for sure. I'll come <laughs> home after a, a tough day, and you know she'll make sure that I'm not super upset first, and then she'll she'll come in and and let me know what I've been doing wrong. But no, it's it's hard to be critical of her desserts because like. The lemon cookies and stuff, they aren't bad. They're just, I just don't like lemon. So all of the stuff that she makes is really good. So it's hard to criticize anything that she does. <laughs> well, let's hope uh, plenty, of, plenty of, do the cookies work for home runs? Have you found that out yet? Or So far, I mean, maybe I'll eat one today before I go to the field and see what happens. All right. Let's hope they uh, supply plenty of, plenty of homers, maybe for you and your teammates as well. And we certainly hope a lot of success for this group going forward. Uh, Brandon, thanks for joining us on this week in race baseball. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
That's Brandon Lau, and we'll continue in just a moment. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Race Baseball. I'm Neil Solon. It's time to take a look at the week gone by and joining me. The guys will call the action in about an hour or so, that being Dave and Andy. Morning, guys. What's happening? Good to be with you Good for morning. the first time. It only took till August. <laughs> and that said, we're a quarter of the way through the season. How strange does it feel uh, to say that uh, as the Rays are 7-8 and eight starting today? And what's your take on the first two weeks? Well, you know, I, I still think that we're a good team that still hasn't played very, very well. And I think uh, it's all-encompassing. I know that uh, the main focus, especially here lately, has been on the lack of offense or consistent offense. But, uh, again, and in, in just watching the way that uh, our starters have been here over the last few days as well, with both Tyler Glasnow and Blake Snell, you can see that uh, there's a lot of moving parts that quite aren't in sync. Uh, I think our bullpen is still trying to get uh, settled in. And now, again, with Oliver Drake going on the IL, that's not going to help matters much. So uh, for, for a team that's gone through as much as the Rays have gone through with, uh, again, you can't sit here and say that any one area of this Rays team is, is, is hitting on all cylinders. For them to be right around 500, I think it's still, you know, not, not amazing. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take it because I still think this team is a good team. I think once they do get going, uh, they can match up with any team in Major League Baseball, and uh, it's just a matter of uh, getting all those pieces moving in the right direction, which now, again, might take another couple of weeks with uh, Oliver Drake going on the I.L. You know, Neil, this, the fact that we're still so young in this season and it's early August, it's a bit disorienting for people that have been in baseball for a while or always followed baseball. I mean, in a way, it feels like April, but there's really only, what, 45, 44 or so games to go in this season. If it was April and they were 7-8, and eight, I'd say there's plenty of time left. Uh, the fact that there's seven and eight and there's so many playoff spots now, and really all you have to do is get in this thing, there's no real advantage to finishing in first place or uh, or anywhere else as long as you get in. So that, to me, is what's calming me down. And, frankly, listening to you in the postgame reminds me of that sometimes because <laughs> you get irritated after a bad loss. But there's a real wide berth to get into the postseason this year. And, you know, you have to have faith in the fact that they've put this roster together. But it, it is a little bit of an awkward-looking machine right now. It's not exactly well-oiled. This team does not look smooth, nor does it uh, look uh, l- like it's going to look or at it, as it has looked. Uh, you hope that the injuries don't cause too much. I'm glad that they're going careful with, uh, with some of the starters here, but I'm concerned about the amount that the relievers have had to shoulder. And, you know, we, we, this team has to hit left-handed pitching. I mean, that's got to be the theme of the day today. You know, Paxton's a struggling left-hander, good as he is, so you need Diaz and Martinez and Renfro and Brasso and Margot and Adamas and the right-handed hitters to do something today. And at some point, they probably need to get some sort of offense out of their catchers also. No question. Um, do you guys overall, are you encouraged that they haven't played well in a 7 or 8 or, or discouraged? What's kind of your feel on that? I, I'm encouraged. I mean, because I know there's better baseball ahead. I really do. I think that... Uh, you know, for all the things, and, and even when I think we were four and three, I think I was doing an interview with a Baltimore radio station, and I said, we haven't done this right, we haven't done this right, we haven't done that right, and yet we're still over 500. So uh, I, I think there's room for improvement. Uh, I, I think I'd be a little less encouraged if, uh, you know, we were playing well and then we were under 500. But I, I still think that, you know, again, uh, several starters can still be better. Uh, you know, and then obviously getting Yanni back off the I.L. I, I don't think the, the bullpen, as Andy said, has quite been in sync yet. Uh, we're still waiting for some guys 
to, to get back. Again, Alvarado being gone for the last few days uh, doesn't help out that much. I think it's what, what I'm also encouraged about, and you know, we heard Kevin Smith talk about it a little bit in the postgame show before he got DFA'd as the leading RBI guy at that position, but uh, it's... <laughs> The depth of this franchise is really kind of shining right now. And, uh, you know, again, there's a lot of guys that are down at the alternate camp in Port Charlotte that uh, have shown that they can help out right away. So I think, you know, again, uh, despite the fact that it's only 60 games, Neil, depth is going to be really, really tested. And I think the Rays, one of the reasons why the Rays were uh, the focus of so many uh, so-called experts and saying that the Rays would be one of the better teams in this stretch would be the fact that our depth is uh, is what it is, and I think it's been tested already, and I think we're, we're fortunate that uh, we've had some guys who can come on up and get the job done. But, uh, again, I agree with Andy. Um, it could all be for naught if uh, James Paxton, who hasn't been able to get anybody out, starts getting guys out today. That would be that part would be disappointing. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel encouraged also. Uh, I can't help but feel this way. Uh, you know, it would be nice to have gotten off to a 14-4 and start like uh, the Rays did last year, and they've banked those wins so they didn't have to win maybe as many and then they still got hot down the stretch anyway 196 Uh, it it might take a while for this team to get going but there's still so much time left in this season and uh, as we say so much so much of a wide berth for the postseason I I can envision a situation and record this Neil and play this back if it happens (laughs) but I can envision a situation where it takes a little while for this team to get rolling they get hot down the stretch and then roll through the postseason because uh, so look if, if you don't get into postseason this year you really don't deserve it. I mean, so uh, there's going to be sub-500 teams in postseason this year. So i got to think this team is going to get rolling. I'd like to see the rotation start to chew up some innings. I'd like to see Blake make the adjustments on his fastball. You know, it was a rough outing for Glass now yesterday. Uh, Morton seems to be leading the way again. And then you got guys like Ryan Yarbrough, who's so easy to forget, but he's been so consistent so far this year for the Rays. So there, there's lots to look forward to, but at some point, boy, I, I sure wish they'd start hitting. I'd sleep better. Mm-hmm. So all that said, uh, they're a half game out of a playoff spot today. You have a chance to win at home your only series against the Yankees. In the big picture, how important is today for each of you? I think it is. You'll hear Dave and I were talking about it on the on what we call the banter segment in the beginning of the pregame show because it's the only chance you get to play the Yankees here. They get an advantage by getting the Rays six out of the ten games up in New York. And it's, uh, at some point, this team is going to have to learn how to win in that ballpark. They don't play well there for some reason. That's got to change. But I don't know, Dave, do you agree? I mean, I feel like today it's, it's not going to knock them out of anything if they don't win today. But this is your one chance to gain a little ground against the Yankees while you have them where you tend to play them well. I, I agree. And I think the other part, too, is with the Yankees uh, bickering and moaning and groaning like they did last <laughs> night toward the end of game number two and then saying some of the things they said in the postgame show, it's time for the Rays to step up and say, Shut up, and let's let's you know we're we're going to stand up to you guys. We're we're not backing down anymore. Uh, and I think the the way you do it is by going out and beating them on the scoreboard today. And if some of the nonsense starts up during the game, then you uh, have to answer those questions as well. But uh, I agree. I think it's a it's 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 not a make or break game. It's not like it's going to ruin the season if the Rays can't come up with a win today. But uh, you know if you you lose today, you just spun your wheels for four games, which again is a uh, you know not good during a sixty game stretch. And really. The other thing is you just went 500 at home and you haven't won on the road yet. So, you know, you got to make hay at home when you can and you got a chance to win a series and really maybe put a little more wind in your sails by uh, picking up a win today. You know, and Neil, you, you, you got me fired up and I thought you were great in the postgame <laughs> show yesterday also because you were a little bit fired up and you brought up point after point after point about why the Yankees are overreacting and you're right. And I don't know if it's the legacy of CC Sabathia trying to start things with the Rays. They think the Rays are trying to start things. But bottom line, you cannot be intimidated by this Yankee team. 
Uh, and I think sometimes the Rays are when they go up to New York. So I think it is time to, uh, you know, push the bully back a little bit. And, and I'd like to see the Rays uh, stand their ground a little bit today, and a win would certainly go a long way. You got that same sense, too, that uh, during the game that enough is enough with this stuff, too? Yeah, and like you were saying, too, I mean, the, the, the Yankees have become so whiny. Uh, you know, Aaron Boone about the horn in Philadelphia, Phil Nevin uh, with with his uh, – uh, endless barking uh, yesterday. That you know, even Aaron Judge, who I love as a player, and we were mm-hmm. saying how much of a good ambassador he is for the game, and he is. I, I love him as a player, but they're holding on to things that happened months and years ago. And Dave was joking in the booth. He goes, "Well, you know, we're we're still upset that Shelley Duncan went in hard uh, in 2008 uh, <laughs> to Aki. It's how long do you hold on to these things? It, it's time to let it go. And, and I, I really think the Rays need to uh, to stand up here and say that enough is enough. And I think, if, you know, again, we were kind of looking back at some numbers, too. If you look over the last few years, the Yankees have actually hit more Rays hit hitters than the Rays pitchers have hit Yankees. And, uh, you know, so if anybody wants to, to moan and groan about being pitched inside and hit, it should be the Rays. So if they want to continue that nonsense today, the Rays better be ready to back it up. Excellent points, guys. Look forward to the broadcast, and thanks for some time on This Week in Rays Baseball. Always. Thanks. You're welcome. That is Dave and Andy. Of course, you're going to hear them with play-by-play first pitch today at 110 between the Rays and New York. Coming up, you'll hear an interview with John Curtis. Now, this is before he got called up, but he did get called up today. So we do that in a moment. Let's pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. All right, next up on This Week in Rays Baseball, we head down to Port Charlotte and joining us a pitcher who's drawn a lot of raves, not only in summer camp, but the way things have been going since, and that's John Curtis. John, thanks very much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Tell me what this has all been like for you. Obviously, a very different experience for everyone. How, how have you thought or what have you thought of this unique experience? I've found it interesting, first off. When it first hit and they sent us back, I went back to Texas and kind of bunkered down with my parents. I thought I was going to be there for a couple of weeks. And obviously, it stretched into months. And we were pretty careful because my mom is her parents' main caretaker. Then coming back, you know, I was just happy that we came back at all. and then. Happy that the season got started. Happy that there was first week. But it's just one of those things you got to stay diligent every day and kind of live in, in the day instead of thinking about tomorrow. So I'd say overall it's been interesting and mostly encouraging how people have responded. When you were at home in Texas, how did you stay in baseball shape? Because when I saw you pitch in summer, uh, summer camp games, your stuff was really lively. Well, I was really lucky. I didn't have access, as I mentioned before, to a gym to lift in or anything. But the race and out a conditioning and workout and running program that was you could do at home. So we were doing, you know, body weight lunges and things like that at home. I did all that. And then I ran a lot in the neighborhood. And then the thing that I was lucky, I had access. My dad played catch with me for the first month. And then when I kind of got to the point where I needed to throw to a catcher, I've had a buddy in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex for the last couple of years. He's my double-A bullpen catcher. His name's Mm -hmm. Brett Wellman. He's actually managing the Texas Collegiate Amarillo Sod Squad or whatever that they're doing in Texas. And he caught me, I'd say, six or eight pens. And probably the last half of them were in an organized, you know, guys who were going back. Like I faced Chris Davis and Trevor Story and a few other guys. So I got to have some live ABs and have some quality bullpen work, even though I didn't have you know, say the full workout experience. So I was I was more fortunate than most people were in terms of what I had access to. It sounds like it. You know, you obviously showed off really good stuff in March and also in summer camp. But what did you learn from that time in March, your first 
camp with the Rays that you kind of took home and said, okay, let's keep working. The main thing, and I know it's so simple, but, you know, between Kyle Snyder and Nappy and Dewey, just the emphasis on throwing strikes. Quality strikes, obviously, but the value of any strike versus the loss of if you throw a ball, the, the count difference and everything. And so really focusing on attacking aggressively halves of the plate and just kind of relentlessly throwing strikes. When you get into that aggressive mindset, even if you have kind of a challenge fastball, it seems like you're getting more foul tips than maybe in the past. And I know there's all the metrics that go on with the movement. And I took stuff away from that, but I really do think that the kind of confidence and conviction factor, factor that the Rays give us as pitchers with the data, but also the you know confidence to know, hey, you guys are good, throw strikes. It makes a difference. You've been with a few different organizations before the Rays, the Twins, the Angels, the Phillies. How different is that philosophy? Uh, and, and maybe just the way they talk to you than the previous three. I'd say everybody's trying to do basically what the Rays are doing. Everybody wants to have that analytical approach. Everybody want, I mean, the Twins took Josh Kalk from the Rays. That was my last year with them. I, I'd say everybody's pretty similar. I'd say the depth of understanding the Rays have as an organization in terms of not just speaking to the numbers, but truly interpreting them. Then they turn around. And what they provide the players ends up being more old school advice. It's very mm-hmm. similar to the advice I got from Eddie Gordado or all these other guys who've been around the game for decades. It's funny how much the new and the old ways of thinking really mesh together when you understand both. And so I'd say compared to other organizations, I, the depth of knowledge the race have ends up with a more streamlined, simplified, here's one or two things to think about instead of here's your data point, figure it out. And there's also a depth of, you know, really good teachers. You mentioned Kyle and Nappy and Dewey. How have Rick Knapp and Dewey Robinson been as you get to know them? Fantastic. I think that um, not just them, but I'd be hard-pressed to think of a different alternate training site that is more conducive to getting guys ready if we get called up. I mean, the level of talent here, their level of expertise and knowledge and understanding and coach, coachability – those two are great, but then also it's, you know, thrown with the talent guys like Shane Boz and Joe Ryan, and I play catch almost every day with Josh Fleming. So seeing all these talented young guys and seeing what they do, taking stuff from them, taking stuff from Nap and Dewey, taking stuff from the quality of hitters. I mean, I'm glad he's going back, but we had Meadows to face for the last week. I mean, iron, sharpen, iron sharpens iron, and, you know, Aaron Slager's talking to, and I talk about it a lot in terms of how much this environment makes everybody better. And also the feedback from the hitters, too. How much do you converse with hitters after you pitch in a game just to kind of get a feel for what they're thinking and use that going forward? Constantly. I mean, we're facing the same guys. Like, I faced Nate Lowe a bunch. And so the first few times I got him, and then he got me for a homer. And But it's back and forth. It's, hey, what were you thinking? Mostly productive feedback on if you get a hit on a slider, did it pop? Like, did you see it early? He says something like, no, I was sitting slider the whole at that. And so it's feedback from them on the stuff, reading their swings, adjustments week to week. Maybe if, um, you know, you're getting swings and misses on one part of the zone one week and not the next, are you adjusting or am I doing something different? And then also, I mean, just the caliber of hitter we're facing. We're facing the Wander Francos and Bruins and guys who are young but very talented. So it's been a great process so far. Since you touched on those kids, how good have you or what have you thought of them so far? Because obviously – they have not really played much above double A or at double A. 
I said this to MJ actually last week. I said it seems like every position player we have here either hits like 500-foot home runs like Brian O'Grady or Cousins or Nate or whoever, or they're like some athletic freak, steals 40 bags, unbelievable. Like Taylor Walls made an unbelievable, one of the best defensive plays I've seen in baseball last week. And then Wander's a stud, Braun's a stud, Lucius is a stud. I mean, they're all very good. They are the Rays have a good system. <laughs> no doubt. I know when I saw you in, in spring, you were a predominantly fastball slider, but you were working on a curve and a change. Has that changed? Are you still fastball slider? What's kind of been the mix for you? It's been mostly fastball slider curveball. To be honest, though, it, it's one of those deals where with the shortened season and with the less time to get ready, I've been leaning heavier on the fastball slider. But I'm not scared of the other two pitches in a game necessarily as much as it, you know, you have to have two. <laughs> so I've really been focusing on making sure those are both the shape and movement and velocity and location I need out of them. And then anything after that's going to be gravy for, you know, the next 45 games or whatever it is. And but how do you make sure day to day you're competing? Because, it, you know, in AAA, you're playing in games and whether you feel they matter there are games where you guys are playing in simulated games. How do you keep that competitive juice the same, knowing that you're competing to get to the big leagues? Well, that's interesting. I I, I do think they matter. Um, with the Twins, I remember somebody said years ago, you know, winning is development. And I do understand to an extent that you need to get guys certain at-bats. And But I've always looked at, looked at every professional game as it matters. So if it's a sim game here in Port Charlotte, or if it's a day game and – Rochester or Buffalo, or if it's a night game at Yankee Stadium, like they all matter. What I've told a few people is that I think the key to being up and down is getting as much up for a game in AAA as you are when you're in the big leagues and being as calm in the big leagues as you are when you're in AAA. So I really try to do that if it's a backfield game after you get optioned or if it's a, you know, a sim game or if it's, I don't know, a night game in Salt Lake City. I, I feel like wherever you are, you, you have to be as competitive all the time. So that, that hasn't been too much of a challenge for me. It's a great approach. You mentioned diligence with the virus at the beginning of this interview. How important is that? Because, you know, you've seen the other camps, whether it's the Marlins, the Cardinals, et cetera. One guy strays, it can change everything. I think it's critical from the standpoint of, I really do think that 98, 99% of people, not only in the game, but across the country are really trying to do a good job. And we've observed how much 1% can ruin it for everybody. And so it's to the same, in the same vein that we need 100% of the people to give an effort, we need everybody to give an effort 100% of the time. It's not good enough to say, well, I didn't go anywhere for three months and then I came over here and all I do is go to the field and here I want to go do whatever because I'm bored. It really is all day, every day. And it's a new normal, but, you know, we're grateful. I'm, I'm happy to be employed right now to... <laughs> Go go field every day, like play baseball, making a living, doing what I love. Like I'm feel I feel fortunate, so it's not too much of a grind that you know we can't go to restaurants. Like there are worse things. There are people who are frontline responders and people who have way worse than we do. No, no doubt. Home baseball, home though. What do you do to pass the time? I know you play some guitar. Have you you know are you yeah. playing music? What are you doing to kind of get through? Playing a l- little bit of guitar. I'm doing a lot of. A lot of nothing. <laughs> I, I watched the Rays game, you know, pretty much every day. So once that started, that was helpful. NBA came back this week. That was helpful. But I've pretty much watched about all the TV series and movies I can. I mean, 
But nowadays, you know, if we're at the field until noon and the game starts at seven, you got some chores and stuff to do at home, like cleaning. And it's just kind of waiting for tomorrow, but that's fine. Well, hopefully you're waiting for tomorrow and you're not watching Rays games all season. I know Kevin Cash at one point said this guy's going to help us at some point. So we look forward to the day where we see you helping this Rays team hopefully make a playoff run. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And lo and behold, he got called up today. So that was our chat with John Curtis before the call-up. And uh, hopefully he's an important contributor today and going forward. Hey, coming up, Jeremy Sowers from the front office and Eric Boland of Newsday on today's opponent, the Yankees. Neil Solon's with you. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Joining us next on This Week in Rays Baseball is manager of Major League Operations, former Major League pitcher as well. That is Jeremy Sowers. Jeremy, thanks very much for being with us. Thank you, Neil. It's a pleasure to have the opportunity. Tell me what all of this has been like for you and how different things have been since the pandemic hit on a, on a baseball level for you personally. Well, I, I can say, you know, we were really obviously really close to the season happening there in the middle of March and, and whatever night it was, I believe it was the 12th. Some of the reports were starting to trickle in with uh, the Utah Jazz players and Tom Hanks and all that stuff that sort of allowed this country to at least realize it was here officially. And then it just abruptly stopped and you kind of had to get a little creative in some of the things we've been doing over the last couple months. Meanwhile, playing the waiting game. So there, there's a, there was like a weird balance between short-term goals and long-term goals about what you wanted to accomplish in that downtime. Part of the, part of the stuff I do at the Rays is uh, advanced scouting. Mm-hmm. And we always, have a laund- we always have a laundry list of things we're trying to accomplish that the offseason seldom permits us to do. This ended up being a couple extra months of free time to uh, explore some of those things, but it was really hard to get too deep into it because you know, as the players and the, the union, or as, as the union and the owners are negotiating, we kind of had to be ready to pivot really fast. Fortunately, everything worked out. We're playing baseball now. It was, it was an interesting four months, to say the least. Is advanced scouting more difficult? I talked, you know, at least on the pro side with Kevin Eibach in our earlier episode, and since you don't have scouts in the ballpark, you're having to rely much more on video than the things that video sometimes doesn't show. Yes. So we, we, we rely on a lot of data and a lot of video. Uh, which which we believe helps us get most of the way there. Uh, there, there is that thing that we kind of consider what happens away from the baseball to be a, a bit of a blind spot in our process. This year, we're, we're able to get a little bit extra help from the pro scouts uh, with their contributions. However, they're not allowed on ballparks, so you're right. It, it does limit some things. But what I would say is actually probably the biggest deficit of all this is guys haven't played baseball in a year. We're having to make some pretty aggressive statements about guys 10 months ago, 11 months ago, and we don't know if pitchers have played with pitch shapes in their free time, decided to just all, uh, outright change their usage. Velocities are different. Um, obviously, the ramp up only being three weeks instead of the typical six for spring training. People are at different stages of being ready and prepared. Uh, and, and quite honestly, there's just the mental side that, that the toll this has taken on everybody. You're waiting around, waiting around, waiting around. Okay, now it's time to go. How do you, you know, make that adjustment? So... We're, we're trying, but we also have a limited amount of opponents this year, and four of them are inside the division, and we know those players very well. There, there are certainly pros to it as well. And as a former player, you also know you mentioned the mental side that you know now when you're on the road, as we found out, can be very challenging. Your team's stuck in a hotel room. The atmosphere of being around your teammates is very different too, and that can prey on, on the way you play at times. Yeah, I, the, the human experience is, is to be around people and to share things as part of a group. The, the simple gestures such as high fives, you know, that kind of thing being stripped away from you makes it, makes it awkward at best. 
luckily everybody's in this situation. Everybody's well aware kind of what the rules are here. Uh, not, not just baseball players in general, but society. And, and we've certainly had a few months to, I guess, adjust to it. You know, you're, you're going to have to find some different ways to get excited about things. Uh, celebrating walk-offs, uh, we've seen that already a couple of times this year, both on our side and the opposing team side. It's, it's going to be a little bit awkward, but, you know, wins are wins, losses are losses, and we still have a common goal of uh, playing extra baseball in October. No question. In terms of dispersing advanced scouting information of the players, how different is that? Because it used to be, I, and I talked with Chad about this before the season started, he knew it, was, it wasn't going to be like they would have a standard hitters meeting or a standard pitchers meeting with everybody in a room because it's a larger group. So is it all on the computer? How's it done? So our, our, our general approach to this has been we will provide the information and leverage our coaching staff and their expertise to act as the conduits to the players. Uh, this year, you can't sit around and have a, have a hitters meeting. You can't have a pitchers meeting. So we have to get creative in how that information is given to the players, basically trying to avoid as many touch points as possible. Uh, so we, we've been able to get a little bit creative with you know, sending video via text message, emailing players, just, just trying to go out of our way in that regard, and also individualizing the whole experience. You know, Chad can have more individualized conversations with his hitters, Kyle can with his pitchers. Um, it's a little bit extra work, but uh, I, I know one of the things we strive for is how do we meet the needs of the individual more so than just the group of hitters or the group of pitchers. So it's given us a little bit of opportunity to get creative in that right. But it is hard still nonetheless because it is very difficult to communicate when all said parties are not sharing the same room with each other. A bit of a, a, bit of a learning curve, but, but we think we have some stuff in place that uh, will, will be of long-term benefit, benefit to us as we keep continuing through the season and hopefully into 2021 and beyond with it. And then there's the in-game adjustments too because there are times where, you know, you know this as a, a player, you know, your teammate can see something noted to you, but – now, sometimes those players might be outside the dugout or they may be at a different angle where they may not pick up the same things during the course of the game. This is for all teams, but it does impact the way the game is played a little bit. Yeah, you know, some, some of the best resources for what's happening in a game will probably come from your starting pitchers that aren't pitching in that game because they have the luxury or, or the, um, the challenge of sitting in the dugout and watching a lot. So... You know, the, the things that Charlie Morton can pick up and relay to his teammates from the dugout or Blake or Ryan or, or quite honestly, anybody that's not actively participating in the game. Yeah, you can't do that quite all the same because they're encouraging you to, to not be in the dugout. And with masks on, six feet apart, uh, it's just a different way to talk. And it's, it's, it's not easy. Now, I know there have been times in various roles that you've had, Jeremy, where you've traveled a bit. Do you travel with the team now or, or is it all done from – home and at the ballpark when the team is home? So uh, historically, I did travel when I, when I was in charge of doing replay uh, for my first few years with the organization. Once I got away from that, the, the necessity to travel has waned a little bit. I, I have a family at home, so there's nothing wrong with having a little more family time during road trips. Obviously, there, there are concerns about traveling now and you want to minimize your footprint where you don't have to be. The, the way we have the advanced process working, uh, luckily, we don't have to have somebody on the ground there. Uh, I do get a lot of help from our now replay guy Bobby Kenny with regard to that but traveling is one of the more fun things you can do uh, with a major league ball club I do miss it but at the same time times like this you, you, you sort of have to know when to step back and say I'm just another person that's making this more complicated uh, we're going to be doing a little bit extra tv watching this year 
as you, I think you're the one pitcher, though, former major league pitcher in that front office, who at least is, you know, at a manager level or higher. How much does that help, do you think, to have that experience? And how are you able to kind of relay different experiences within the conversations that you have as a group? So kind of, kind of what, I, what I believe is that I offer just another perspective. Um, we, we obviously have a lot of incredibly smart and talented people in our front office that come from all walks of life. We have certainly guys that have played college baseball. In my circumstance, to play professional baseball is, is a unique attribute to bring in. So I can certainly say, hey, I remember seeing this from this perspective. This is what I was taught. This is what I remember. But rather than grandstanding and saying, because I did it, suddenly my stuff matters more as an opportunity to basically piggyback on ideas. Like you basically take all the perspectives of everybody in the front office and try to piggyback off each other and say, well, if I take this into account and that into account and I relay it to my own experiences on the mound, this makes a whole lot of sense. What really ends up happening is I regret the way I went about my business as a, uh, as a pitcher. You know, the, the, the dumb things like, why did I throw more two seamers instead of four seamers? Why didn't I throw my breaking ball more? Why was I so afraid of throwing strike one? You know, things like that. I, I Almost the front office has educated me into just, and I'm also really good at being self-deprecating about my career because I wasn't a very good pitcher. But what it what allows me to do is better understand what challenges pitchers face and how we can leverage that information to make us feel feel better about, hey, just because it's 88 and it's straight doesn't mean you can't do something right with it. This has been a really fun front office to be around to better understand what it takes to be successful out on the mound. Jeremy, thanks very much for a few minutes. Absolutely. Thanks, Neil. Good stuff from Jeremy Sowers from the Rays uh, Major League Baseball operations side of things. And joining us now to discuss the Rays opponent today is Eric Boland of Newsday. Eric, thanks very much for a few minutes. Neil, how are you doing today? I'm good. Obviously, this has been very different uh, for all of us. Give us your take from a Yankee perspective on the first couple weeks. Um, Obviously, they're at the top of the division, which is where a lot of people predicted. But what's your biggest takeaways from two weeks in? You know, Neil, the, the biggest takeaway that, that I've, you know, taken with the Yankees is just how consistent they've been in terms of messaging. You know, since uh, spring training 2.0 or spring training 2, however you want to, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, was rebooted July 4th weekend, it's been pretty consistent coming from uh, other teams, a, a lot of, uh, maybe a lot is is overplaying a little bit, but you, you've seen a steady stream of complaints about the the protocols and and some of the inconveniences that that go along with it. And uh, by and large, you have not heard or read those type of comments coming out of the New York Yankees. Um, and I don't know if that's something where behind the scenes the players just decided, hey, look, you know, we're going to have just one area of focus uh, this year. If you're inconvenienced by some protocols, if you're bothered by some of them, keep it in here. We don't want to read about it or hear it uh, on social media or in, in any media form whatsoever. Uh, we're going to be all about one message here, and, that, and that's winning games on the field. And uh, they've been remarkably consistent with that. And like I said, uh, Neil, you know, you, you do read and hear a lot coming from other camps, and, and obviously that's continued into the regular season, uh, and, and you have not uh, seen that with the, uh, with the Yankees. And to me, that, that's one thing that's, uh, that's really jumped out since uh, their very first workout of, uh, of rebooted spring training, if you will, uh, on July 4th. 
How about on the field? Uh, maybe what's the biggest thing that surprised you, or maybe what's the one thing that's a great concern coming out of the first couple of weeks? I mean, Neil, I have to say, I don't think anything's really been surprising, and you and I have been doing this for a while uh, now between the two of us. And um, when, when you talk to opposing team scouts and talent evaluators, et cetera, uh, before COVID-19 uh, and, and everyone was doing their projections for 162 games uh, schedule. Uh, most people picked the Yankees uh, as, uh, as uh, you know, a, a heavy favorite to, to come out of the AL uh, in the, for the world series. And I don't think a 60 game season has, uh, has, has changed that perspective. The Yankees uh, had a lot of talent, uh, that, that would have played over 162 and a lot of talent that's, uh, that's shown itself uh, in the early going of a 60-game season. So, you know, this team was expected to uh, hit a lot of home runs. They've done that so far. Uh, they were expected to have uh, one of the, the better bullpens in the sport. Uh, they have to this point. Uh, I guess the, the one area from a surprise in a negative sense uh, beyond Garrett Cole, the starting pitching hasn't been uh, quite as good as uh, as what was anticipated. But I think in, in that respect, you can chalk it up to a degree to the uh, to the small sample size of only being you know two weeks into a, a regular season and pitchers being really not stretched out to the degree that they they would be um, you know if we were in normal circumstances. No doubt. Uh, look, Hap had a tough year last year. You don't know truly what you're going to get out of Montgomery. Um, do you think that they may try and add a starting pitcher at the trading deadline to make sure they have a big three with Cole Tanaka when he gets stretched out and then a third, or do you think there's going to be much movement because it's only three weeks away now? Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the fascinating storylines of a, a season as endless fascinating storylines, Neil, is what's going to happen at, at that trade deadline and, and teams uh, perspective and approaches to that. Uh, I, I don't think you can ever rule out the Yankees making a move at the trade deadline. Uh, and, and if they go a couple of more turns through the rotation and, uh, you know, Hap isn't, isn't uh, you know, just hasn't caught on yet or, or Paxton has a big outing today because, you know, you've read about mm-hmm. his issues with his velocity, searching for it. You know, he's a good five, six, seven miles an hour off on his, uh, his fastball velocity at this point. So that that's something to watch today. But yeah, you look, if you have underperformance from, from uh, two or three of these guys or an injury, a couple of injuries, uh, they do like uh, uh, quite a few of their prospects who they think are, are banging on that major league door. Uh, but if there's a team that has a starter available uh, that, that's deemed itself out of contention and the Yankees feel that they can get that established starter uh, for a reasonable price, uh, Brian Cashman absolutely will pull the trigger on that. Um, so, you know, are they in the market for a starter at this point? I wouldn't say that. Uh, but, you know, in, in this condensed season, you know, you don't have nearly the time to figure those things out uh, that you would in a, quote, regular 162-game uh, season, Neil. So, um, you know, I, I definitely would not say uh, – you know, as a knee-jerk reaction, no, there's no chance that the Yankees wouldn't look uh, look for that uh, before the trade deadline, um, just because of, uh, of the uh, the condensed nature of the season. And got about a minute to go, Eric. Your take, uh, you said teams out of contention. How many teams are going to be out of contention with 16 teams uh, that, making the playoffs? Right, exactly. And that's really the continuing, you know, to, to the, the question that you asked about the trade deadline, Neil, is that, you know, I, I don't know how many teams are going to feel – uh, that they are out of it. 
Uh, obviously, you have certain teams that are trending in that direction um, the two weeks in here, but um, I would say with the expanded playoffs and the ease with which teams can can get in, uh, where you really don't need to be that many games above 500, and, and maybe a, a team or two that's right at 500 or a game you know underneath maybe does slide into the, to the playoffs uh, this year but I think it's going to be difficult to, to find a, a, a trading partner particularly for a high-end player um, because I don't think a lot of those guys are, are going to be available because like you said Neil so many teams are going to feel that they're that they're in it and mathematically they will be no question Eric good stuff I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon and thanks for joining us on this Sunday I look forward to it Neil always a pleasure to join you hope you and your family are, uh, continue to stay safe same here. That's Eric Bolin joining us from Newsday, and we certainly appreciate he joining us and all of our guests on the program today, including second baseman outfielder Brandon Lau, as well as Dave and Andy. You'll hear them momentarily. John Curtis, who just got added to the roster today, and also Jeremy Sowers from the Rays front office. If you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. And don't forget to enter the Rays weekly 50-50 charity raffle. You can enter from the comfort of your own home each game this week for a chance to win go to racebaseball.com slash 50 50 some restrictions do apply uh i want to thank my producer today that being derek dubose i'm neil solon stay tuned the pregame show is next it's the Rays and yankees wrapping up the homestand on the Rays baseball network